to bear fruit in our lives, fruit that uh, produced by the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. What do our lives look like? And are we bearing fruit? And are we modeling that kind of fruit uh, to the people that we come alongside of? As we think about this subject of goodness, I mean, I don't know what your mind thinks about um, um, sometimes the word good or goodness is, is kind of hard to, to really uh, understand, and this is what I mean. I mean, think about the, the many ways that we use the word good. Now, we ask someone, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing good. We're doing good. Uh, maybe you walk into a department store and the, the clerk comes up to you and says, well, how can I help you? No, I'm, I'm good. You know, I don't really need any of your help at this particular point in time. We see things like good morning, good day, and good riddance, which... loosely translated means, I'm glad to see you. I hope you don't have a bad day, and I'm glad to see you leave, is the way we use that word. But I think there's kind of a subjective element to the the word good. You know, maybe you leave here this morning, and you go, somebody says, well, man, that that sermon was really good. I, I really appreciated that sermon on the goodness of God. And the other person may say, wow, I don't know if it was that good or not. Uh, Maybe it wasn't as good as you thought it was. All of a sudden, there's a subjective element to this idea of good, and it's based upon our experiences and based upon our interpretation of what life is really all about, our experiences. Consider our maybe our eating habits. And what I mean is this. Uh, When I grew up as a child, I was ingrained from my mom and my dad, particularly my mom, that certain vegetables were good for you. Lima beans, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Now, I grew up in that generation where we had a variety of vegetables. And in order for me to actually leave the table, I had to eat those lima beans or those Brussels sprouts or whatever that we had. Did somebody say amen? (laughs) And thus, the subjective element of good. Because that's exactly what my mom said. Why did I have to eat them? And by the way, when I ate those, what happened? I gagged them down, right? That's why you took the peas and you hid them inside of your napkin. And that's why you fed them to the dog, because you didn't like them. And my mom's understanding of good and my understanding was good. They were not the same. Why did I have to eat those? Because my mom said, they're what? Good for you. Well, they weren't good for me. If they were good for me, why in the world am I gagging them down? And so if you were to look up the the word good or goodness in the dictionary in one of our modern versions, it might say something like this. Good means morally good or virtuous. But when the Bible, when we look at the the, the idea of goodness in the Bible, it has this idea of of being benevolent or, or profitable or benefiting others. In the New Testament, it specifically has the idea of of an active goodness. In other words, not just that you're morally good or or you're virtuous or you you possess the nature and the character of goodness, but what you want to do is you want to act out goodness. You want to be good and you want to demonstrate goodness to other people. You know, last week we looked at the idea of, of the fruit of, of, of kindness, this idea that, that inside of us, because of what the Spirit of God has done in our life, there's, there's a kindness of it. The Holy Spirit of God wants us to be kind. Well, goodness is, is the other side of that where we want to demonstrate that kindness by what? By, by looking at our world and looking at the people around us and wanting to do good to help them at particular points and times. And, and so Paul, wanting to uh, help us to understand and the people of Galatia to understand uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what the Spirit of God desires to do in our life so that we can bear fruit, he writes these words in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Let me just read the text. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit 
this love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those are fruits of the Spirit that God wants to work in and through our lives so that we can ultimately bear fruit for Him, that we can live for the honor and the glory of God for who He is and what He's done for us. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this, this quality or this virtue of goodness this morning. And there's two things I want to look at, and then we'll get to an application. The first is that goodness is grounded in the person of God. That goodness is ultimately grounded, not in our subjective feelings, but goodness is ultimately grounded in the goodness of God. And second thing I want to look at is this idea that, that God, because He's good, He has good purposes for our lives. We may not fully understand all the things that God is doing, but God has good purposes in our lives. And, and then what I want to do is I, I want to draw this to a close with some applications of how we can live out the goodness of God. So that's kind of where we're going. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, You are a good you, you are a good, good God. You are a good Father to us. And Father, I am grateful for the demonstration of your goodness this morning about all of these people that have been touched by your goodness for 40, 50, 60 years. Father, there's no doubt in my mind that they would stand up and say that God is good. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the testimony of their lives. Father, we thank you for your goodness to Hope Church. Father, you have been good to us. You have preserved us. You continue to do that. You continue to provide for us. And so, Father, this morning I simply pray the, the prayer of Psalm 119. Open our eyes that we would see the wonder and the beauty of who you are and what you've done for us, that we would see your goodness this morning. And, Father, I ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. So, so let's begin. God in his person is the standard for goodness. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 119. And it's kind of our theme verse, if you will. Psalm 119, verse 68 says, You are good, and what you do is good. Teach us of your goodness. Over and over in the Bible, particularly in the Psalms, you hear this phrase, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And when we make that statement about goodness, a lot of times we're making that statement based upon what we see, feel, and experience in our, our own lives. In other words, what I mean is, is we look at what's going on in our lives, and then everything's lining up, and everything's going well, and, and everything is, is good. We have a job, we have, we have all of those wonderful things. We tend to look at that and say, God is good for us, and God is good to us. But what happens is we begin to see maybe some things shift in our lives and, and, and maybe we do lose the job or, or maybe something happens or, or maybe there's this mountain or something that comes into our life and all of a sudden the circumstances of our lives change and we begin to question, wait a minute, if God loves me and God is good in his person, why are the things in my life shifting? Why am I not experiencing the goodness of God? And we have this idea that, that God's uh, definition of goodness is based upon my life experiences, as we kind of think, feel, and experience every once in a while. What we need to know and understand is that God is good, and God will allow these things at times to come into our lives to shift our minds and our hearts and our thinkings on who He is because what God wants to do in our lives. And God's ways are so far beyond who we are, what we might think, feel, and experience, that we have a tendency to lose sight of the wonder and the beauty, not only of the goodness of God, but of his plan. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 55, reminds the people in us about this chasm, if you will, between who God is and we as fallen humans. Isaiah chapter 55, notice what he writes, he says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What is the difference between the distance between the earth and the heavens? I mean, we can't even fathom the distance. And, and that's this idea of how big and mighty and powerful God in his ways and his thoughts and how we are tend, have this tendency to be way down here and we only see a small part. We see what's going on in our lives. And all of a sudden, the goodness of God has been is shaken in our lives because of the circumstances of our life. And we begin to see, feel, and experience. Wait a minute, God. What about your goodness to me? Why am I going through these things? David, in Psalm 34, he's writing about running from the Philistines, a time when he was actually running for his life. Psalm 34, verse 8, reminds us of what David knew about his experiences with God. Even in the midst of difficulty, Psalm 34, verse 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The idea of taste means this, to know and experience and to feel the goodness of God. David, in the context of running for his life, running from the Philistines, being persecuted, all of that, he still was able to say, listen, I can still taste and see, feel and experience that God has been good to me, even in the midst of the difficulties and challenges of life. Why is it that we need to affirm that God is good, that God's goodness has come to us? Because I think that this idea of God's goodness is not just something that's separate. All of a sudden, this attribute of God's goodness begins to embrace all the wonderful attributes of God's love and God's perfection and God's wonder and God's beauty. It's kind of like the idea of a stream, the stream of God's goodness. And what's it do? It kind of flows down the mountain. And as it flows down the mountain, what it does is it captures all of these wonderful elements of God's attributes and brings them to us. Moses, I believe, experienced biblical evidence of God's goodness in a manifold way. Moses had asked God, God, I want to see your glory. And notice in the book of Exodus, notice how God reveals his goodness, how God reveals his glory to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. Moses said, God, I I want to see your glory. Notice what God said. God told Moses And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. The the Hebrew word for goodness there, it means this. All of the best things about a person or all of the best things about God. God says, listen, I'm going to pass by you and I'm going to allow you to see all of my goodness. You're going to taste and see and experience all of my goodness as I pass by. The next day, we see what happens in the life of Moses and how he tasted the goodness of God. Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 says this, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming. Notice what he proclaims. Notice the stream of God's goodness. The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Uh, According to Moses, all the best things of God's goodness include his attributes of what? Compassion, and his attributes of grace, and his attributes of mercy, and truth, and forgiveness. It's like the goodness of God is like this stream that flows all the way downhill, and the attributes of God slowly come to us, they're manifested to us in a variety of ways. And it's all related to the goodness of who God is and what he's done for us. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about tasting the goodness of the word of God. And as we read and meditate, as we pine the word of God, as we look to the word of God, 
for our lives. What we see is the relationship between goodness and all of these wonderful attributes of God. Again, this idea of a stream of God's goodness flowing downhill. And this is what it looks like. God's goodness gives of itself unconditionally and sacrificially. You know what that's called? God's love. When he shows favor to the guilty and the undeserving, like you and I were, that's God's grace. When it reaches out to relieve the hurting and the distressed people, it is called God's mercy. When God's goodness shows up in patience toward those who deserve punishment, what's it called? God's long-suffering. When God's goodness reveals to us the way that things are, it's called God's truth. And when it bears the offense of our sin, when God's goodness bears the offense of our sin and absolves us of our guilt, what is that called? That's called forgiveness. That stream of God's goodness flows down to us and it's demonstrated to us in so many wonderful and powerful ways as we taste and see the goodness of God and who he is and what he's done for us. That God is a good God, that he loves us, that he cares for us. David in Psalm 135 says this, Praise the Lord, the song that we just sang. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. It's good to speak of the goodness of God. It's good to proclaim with each other in song and in memory the goodness of God and what he's done to us. David, directed toward the end of his life, he's reflecting on his life. In 2 Samuel, he says this about God's goodness. As for God... His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He's a shield for all who take refuge in him. Think about all the different things that went on in David's life. And he says, the Lord's way is what? It's perfect and it's flawless. In the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the challenges of David's life, you can say, "God, God, your way is perfect and your way is good and your way is loving toward me. Why is it for us to know and embrace and understand, to have a theological understanding of the goodness of God. You know, we hear people say, and I began the service, God is good. Always, always God is good. All the time, God is good. Why is it so important for us to know and understand this about the nature and character of God? Because we live in a day and time where people think this idea of being good and being accepted by God and having a relationship with God is all dependent upon our goodness. We become the standard for whatever good is, not only for my life and the way that I live, but for my future. When my brother passed away in February, I had this conversation with a family member. Now, the standard for being accepted by God and being accepted into his kingdom is very simply to live a good life. The problem is, what is good and what's the definition of good? And all of a sudden, the idea of good or goodness is dependent upon us. We begin to look at ourselves and look at the people around us and go, I become the subjective standard, if you will, for goodness. And my life becomes the subjective standard for goodness and not the nature and the character of a good God who loves us and displays his goodness all throughout to us. But let me ask you something. Go back to the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis. What was the essence of the sin of Adam and Eve? They denied the goodness of God. That somehow, someway, what God was doing, God was holding back something good for them, from them. They'd been tempted by the tempter to rebel and go their own way and to doubt the very essence of the goodness of God. 
And that one act of doubting the very essence of God being good to us plunged the whole human race into this tragic place where we find ourselves today rebelling against the goodness of God, thinking ultimately that we know better than God. God, I don't need you. I can run my life and I can do this the way that I want to. And so Paul would write about the human condition in Romans chapter 3. Notice who he writes, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Listen, if that is an accurate description of the human condition, then what we know from the Bible is this, that we, that we're in trouble. No one, no one seeks after God. We are in trouble. And that's where the goodness of God meets the grace and the mercy of God. Because God does something about that broken relationship. God comes to us in the person of Jesus. And what he does is he reminds us of his love and his care and his grace and his mercy to us because of what Jesus would come and do. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this. This is where God's goodness meets the grace and mercy and love that he has for us. But God demonstrates his lone love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the position that I was in, separated from God, running from God, Jesus comes and he comes and he offers himself as a sacrament, as a payment for my sin, as a payment for all of the sin, all of the rebellion of running from him, thinking that I know better than God, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again demonstrates the goodness of God. Notice what he says. Paul writing to the people of Corinth and he says, God made him who had no sin. The sinless son of God comes. God made him who had no sin. What? To be sin for us. All of our sin, all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of the rebelliousness was placed upon Jesus on the cross. Why? So that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Cross was a beautiful demonstration of God's goodness and God's grace in our lives. That God would send Jesus to go to the cross so that you and I can be free of our rebellion, free of running from him, free of living without him. Now let me ask you something. What's your experience of God's goodness? I mean, when you sit and think about it in your life, if, if you were to, to, to grab a yellow pad and, and, and you were to, to write down, where, where, where would you link the goodness of God in your life? Where would you see it demonstrated in your life? And, and are you living out God's goodness in your life? The reality that, that, that God loves you? The reality that, that, that God cares for you? See, the, the, the beauty of God's goodness is this. That God is, is demonstrating his love to us. And, and he's working to draw people into a relationship with him. God is continuing to pursue his people, opening his arms wide and says, will you, will you look forward to and trust the unique person of Jesus with his death on the cross? Will you put your faith and your trust in him so that I can give you abundantly all of the blessings that I have secured in Jesus Christ? Are, are we living and experience that kind of God's goodness to us? That God wants a relationship with you. That God cares about you. And in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges and the mountains and the hills of life, that God says, listen, I, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to walk with you through those things. Psalm 23, it, it's, we're very familiar with this. It's, it's the Lord is my shepherd. 
in, in Psalm 23, verse 6, notice how it ends. This is David writing, probably at the end of his life. Notice what it says. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what's so beautiful about this verse is this. That word follow, it actually means, when you look it up in the Hebrew, it actually means to pursue, to pursue. So think about David. David is running from Saul for a bunch of years, and then he's running from the Philistines, and he's living his life on the run, and then at some particular point in time, his own son Absalom rebels against him, and he has to run from that, and yet he still says this, surely goodness and love will what? Well, pursue me all the days of my life. In other words, when all of these things were going on, what was God doing? God was continuing to pursue David in the midst of all of the pain and the suffering of life, because my goodness... And my mercy, they're going to follow you. They're going to pursue you because I love for you and I care for you. You know, I, I thought of this illustration, and, and I just want to give it to you, and hopefully it fits. We'll see if it does. So I, I ride my motorcycle, and I like to ride off Highway 94, and I go the back roads, and you get the twisties, and it's fun. And it, I, I just, it's absolutely beautiful. And a lot of times when I'm uh, riding along, um, there's a little critter that comes across the road. And a lot of times it's a, it's a turtle. And the last two weeks, the two snapping turtles... I've uh, been in the middle of the road, and they're not, they're, they're big snapping turtles. So I pull over to the side of the road, and he's in the middle of the road, and I go up to the snapping turtle. And what I want to do is I want to help him cross the street, because I don't want him to get hit by a truck and get smashed. So I, I go up to the, to the snapping turtle, and you know what he does? He just says, hey, man, would you help me across the street? And no, he turns, he turns and faces me, and he opens his mouth. And you know what he's doing? He's daring me. Get closer, buddy. Get close to me. I'll, we'll see how. We'll see what this looks like. And, and what's so sad is this. He doesn't understand what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get you across the road so that you don't get smashed, flattened by a truck. And he has no comprehension of what I'm trying to do. He doesn't see my human goodness, if you will. And in a way, that's the way that we are with God. We are blinded sometimes to the goodness of who God is and what he's doing in our life, that we forget to look to him and turn to him. And what ultimately he wants to do is he wants to get us across the road, or he wants to get us across the path, or what he wants to do is he wants to get us up the hill. We're at the bottom, we're in the valley of the shadow of death. We've seen, we've tasted of God's goodness. We're at the valley of the shadow of death. We're looking up, and, and God says, I, I want to take you to the mountain. I want to take you up there. I, I, I want to help you. Why? Because God's goodness is revealed in his person to us. That's the first thing. Second thing I want to deal with is this. God's goodness is revealed in his purposes. God's goodness is revealed in his purpose. Look at Psalm 119 once again. Notice what it says. It says, you're good, and then it says, what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. From the very beginning of creation, God's goodness has been on display. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And the sun breaks forth. Every day the sun breaks forth. And we don't have to worry about it coming up. But it's, it, but it's a part of God's goodness. It's a part of God's provision. It's a, it's a part of all that God is doing in the world. And, and we see and we feel and experience and we look at the goodness of God. Even traveling on this road and seeing this snapping turtle. A part of God's creation. Trying to figure out where he's going to go in life. The heavens declare the goodness of the Lord. The Grand Tetons, absolutely phenomenally beautiful. The, uh, the Swiss Alps, we hear things like the Grand Canyon. We look upon the, 
the, the edge of the Grand Canyon and we look down and we see that and we go, wow. When we look at the Grand Canyon, we look at the Grand Teton, we look at the Swiss, we look at all these mountains, do we stand there and look at the Grand Canyon and go, wow, look how big and mighty and wonderful I am? Or do we say, wow, look how big and mighty this is and how small I actually am in life? And the Bible talks about God's creation and God doing all of these wonderful things because he is good and his love endures forever. Psalm 33 says this, that there is no end to the goodness of God. Do you see the goodness of God in life? The psalmist said this, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The the, the earth is full of the love of the Lord. Do you realize and see the beauty of God's goodness all around us? There's an article that came out many years ago, and the name of the article was called The Diversity, Beauty of Marine Life, charted in the first global census. So what they did was all of these scientists got together and they looked at uh, the ocean, the sea, and they charted this global census of all that they saw and experienced. And I want to just draw your attention to some things. It says this, after a decade of research involving 3,000 researchers, scientists have presented the first census of marine life. The researchers discovered 6,000 new species bringing the total of known marine species to over 250,000. And the highlights were these. In uh, uh, their 600-year-old tapeworms is what they found. Their herring that swim in formation, herring is a fish, that swim in formations as large as Manhattan. There's a yeti crab which features long, downy claws like fur mittens. There's a jellyfish with a Darth Vader-like helmet, and there's another jellyfish that uses lights to scream for help. This is what they discovered. The scientists went on to say, the scientists who worked closely with the project were constantly surprised and even stunned by the diversity and abundance and beauty of what Christians would call God's creation. One of the vice chairs for the project said, life astonished us everywhere we look. The discoveries of new species and habitats both advanced science and inspired artists with their extraordinary beauty. Another amazed scientist said this, the most surprising thing was the beauty. Our eyes pumped out of our heads in front of all this beauty. And they went on to say that one of the saddest parts of the discovery of all the research they did and all they saw was this, that there's still 20% of the ocean that they have not yet been able to get to. God is good, and God's creation is good. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Go back and read chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. Why? Because God is good, and his purposes toward fallen humanity are good. God's purpose toward us is good. And you know what the pinnacle, the pinnacle of God's creation is? Us, you and I. You and I have been created in the Imago Dei, the very image of God. You and I bear the image of God in us. And that's why we have the privilege and the unique responsibility to treat each other's respect and kindness and goodness and love. Why? Because we bear the very image of God. And to speak against one another uh, and to hurt another person is to speak against the very image of God. And that's why we need the Spirit of God inside of our life. 
God made us with eyes to behold the beauty of nature, ears to hear its lovely sound, nostrils to enjoy its pleasant aromas. There's times when I'm on my motorcycle and and I'm riding through um, Colorado and all of a sudden I'm hit with the smell of pine needles. And I'm like, wow, I'm in the forest. And, and, And it immediately, immediately reminds me of the goodness of God and the wonder and the beauty of God and the wonder and beauty of God's creation. And so what does God do? God in his goodness provides us with all of these wonderful things. The warmth of sunlight, the joy of loving family and friends, the satisfaction of productive labor, the fact that you and I have the privilege of being able to work, the exhilaration of what it feels like to exercise and go out and and, and do fun things, the refreshment for most of us, hopefully, of a good night's sleep, the provision of our daily needs. All of this is God's goodness being displayed to us. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down with the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadows. Why? Because God in his purpose is good, and God in his person is good to us, and he dis- delights to display his goodness to us. It's interesting, when you, when you go back and look at Paul's life, and you look at his life and his ministry in the book of Acts, he goes into the city of Lystra and he heals somebody there. And all of a sudden, what they want to do is they want to sacrifice him. They, they think that he's Zeus and they think the guy that he's with are, are, is another kind of God. And they, and they, want, to, they want to sacrifice him. They believe that the gods have actually come down and helped them. And, and they say, no, 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 it's not about us. It's ultimately about Jesus and what he's done. In Acts chapter 14, notice how he responds. He says this, yet God has not left himself without testimony, witness. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. What does God do? God provides for us because of who he is. God provides for us because of his purpose to us. And God provides for us uniquely in the person of Jesus Christ who's come to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sin. The Bible talks about us um, We possess all of these wonderful attributes, these heavenly attributes, because of what God has given us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's giving us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. You know how that comes? Through the unique person of Jesus and what he's done for us. Okay, three things, three ways to apply this, my way of applying this. Just a couple of things. How can we respond to God's goodness? God's person and God's purposes. How can we respond? I want to begin by reading a a, a prayer. And this is actually a prayer that Diana sent out. If you got the email this past week, this is a prayer from Diana. And I thought that she just did a great job in this prayer to God about her response to God's goodness. Let me just read it for you. Diana writes, This summer I got to go to the beach in Florida. While I relaxed on the beach with my feet in the sand, I was reminded that you made the wind and the waves and the wide sandy beach that stresses, stretches as far as the eye can see. I felt your presence as I baked in the sun and I played in the sea green water watching the seagulls fly overhead. Thank you for allowing me to bask in your warmth and let me hold on to this peace and quiet of vacation. No sooner had I unpacked my dirty laundry From the trip we took, did I glance at the calendar for the month ahead and saw it full of meetings and projects and all sorts of commitments? What happened to the calm of August? I felt a little better when I was reminded that you told us to rest on the seventh day. The days are already getting shorter. The sun isn't such a dependable alarm in the morning anymore. 
it set before we even finished dinner last night and the stars were out on a late evening walk. The days are starting to finally cool off a little bit. Soon the leaves will turn in color and drop from the trees and I'll dig out the sweaters from the bottom of the drawer and I'll declare that October is the most beautiful month of the year. May I continue to bask in your warmth in the cooling autumn days. In the meantime, thank you, God, for summer. Thank you for your bounty. Thank you for just one more round of watermelon and fresh corn on the cob. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Do you live in that goodness of God? Do you see, feel, and experience the goodness of God? No matter where you're at this morning, God is good. God loves you. God cares for you. And God wants to help you. Three points of application before we leave. Number one is this. Wherever you are at in your life, trust God for his goodness. Trust him for your goodness. You know, when things are going good, it's really easy to trust God. And sometimes maybe we get even a little bit complacent. The problem arises when all of a sudden the circumstances of our lives begin to change. The circumstances go from really, really good to really, really difficult. And, and maybe we're going through a trial and maybe we're going through a tribulation. Or, or, or maybe we're working some, through some kind of pain. Or, or maybe something really, really bad and tragic, tragic has happened in our lives. And what happens is we begin to question the wisdom of God. We begin to question the goodness of God. And, and how we interpret those things doesn't mean that God has stopped being good. What God is doing is he's, he's shifting these things around to a place where he can demonstrate his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love in an entirely different way. When the difficulties and the challenges of life come in, God just doesn't say, oh, you know what? That's a little bit too much for me. I'm going to go over here, and then we're just going to wait how these things come up. And then he comes alongside, and then he cleans up the mess. That's not the way that God works. God works in and through those experiences of life. And God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. God is working out all of those things in our life. Listen, why do we have the story of Joseph? Why can Joseph, at the end of Genesis chapter 50, why can he say these words? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done to save you many lives. Maybe you're in the midst, you're seeing the hill, and maybe you're in the midst of this thing called a switchback. You know what a switchback is? Here's a picture. So this is going up one of the mountain passes in Colorado. We're at the bottom, we're trying to work our way up. Now, if you're going to go up that, you can't go straight up. Why? You can't, because there's no way you can go straight up. A motorcycle's not created to get, and you couldn't go straight up. So what do they do? They create these switchbacks. So you come along the side, and all of a sudden, there's a sharp turn that goes back the other way. And all of a sudden, there's another sharp turn that turns back. And what you do is you go switchback, 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 as you slowly progress going up the mountain to get to the other side. And through the mountain pass. By the way, in the midst of that little picture right there, there's a little blob of people. And that's three people. That's me, Brian, and my brother. And my motorcycle is lying on the middle of the ground. Why? Because sometimes in the switchbacks of life, you crash and you fall. But you don't give up. You, you don't give up. You get back up. And you progress to the switchback because what's going to happen is eventually you're going to get up and you get around and you're going to get up and you're going to get blah and forth and back and forth and back and forth and eventually you're going to get to the top. Sometimes life is going through the valley of the shadow of death and even to the valley of the shadow of death. Remember what it says? I am with you. My rod and my staff, they will comfort you. Even in the midst of the switchbacks of life, even in the midst of the difficulties and the challenge of life, God says, I am there with you. 
I read this. Uh, I don't know if you ever had bad days. You ever had a bad day? I had a bad day this week. I had a really bad day this week. I had to meditate and write out Psalm 62. Let me just give you a snippet. Psalm 62 says this. David, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock, my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Some of you are sitting there saying, I am that way. I am right there. There there is no one else that knows what's going on in my life. Nothing. No one knows what's going on. It is me and God alone. And God says, I am with you. I am not alone. I am with God. And and if you go back and read Psalm 62, it's this idea of what I'm going to do. If it's only me and God, I'm still going to trust him in the midst of difficulties and challenges of life. Because I'm not alone. God knows the switchbacks of life. Trust God in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life. Second thing is this, and it's really easy. Really easy. You ready? Do good. Do good. Do good. That means be nice. Be kind. Be loving. And in other words, open your heart out of your kindness, out of your love, patience, out of all of those attributes. Allow your heart to be good and do good to other people. Galatians talks about this. It's easy for us to get cynical. It's easy for us to give up. Notice what he says. Let us not become weary in doing good, even to the person that might be a little difficult to be around. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of Abraham. Do good. Let's Let's make it a point to do good. Let's trust God. Let's do good. And the last thing is this. Celebrate God's goodness. Celebrate God's goodness. That's what we sang about this morning, God's goodness. God's grace, God's mercy. God's goodness is, is, is like that stream that's flowing and it's hitting all of the attributes of God and I don't know how they hit you this morning. God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. I don't know how that all hits you this morning and reminds you the nature and the character of who God is. The psalmist said this, Psalm 145, great is the Lord. We sang this, we actually sang this. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. Its greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of your power, of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. In other words, celebrate God's goodness. Lord, your word says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Father, we thank you that you're a good God, that you love us, that you care for us. Father, that in, in spite of our sin, Lord, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our running to us, you continue to pursue us and open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to the wonder and the beauty of who you are. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he entered into this world. We thank you for his life. We thank you for the demonstration of his kindness, of his goodness, of his compassion, or the way that he lived. And, and Father, we simply want to be like Jesus. Lord, we know that ultimately you are conforming us into the very image of Jesus. And you do that in a variety of ways. And so, Father, we ask that we would simply look to you and trust you. Father, we're grateful for the Spirit of God who lives inside of us, the Spirit of God who empowers us, the Spirit of God who cleanses us, the Spirit of God who teaches us. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we just want to stand, we want to sing to you, and we want to offer our praise to you because of your goodness to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.